recovery. Luke chapter 12 this morning in your Bibles. If you have found that and you're able to do so, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Luke 12 will be in verse 35 down through verse number 40 this morning. Our theme this year we unveiled last week is the word ready. A people, people ready, um, uh, made ready, let me back up here. Made ready, make ready a people prepared unto the Lord. That's what John the Baptist did. He made ready a people prepared unto the Lord. And we want to be ready. We want to be a people that's ready for our Lord. This calendar year, we're going to be looking at and focusing on how it is we can be ready uh, for all of what God wants us to be and all of what God wants us to do. Luke 12, we'll read the passage responsibly this morning. I'll begin in verse 35, reading alone, and then we'll begin reading together in verse 36, on down, following that pattern down through verse number 40. Everybody there? All right, very good. The Bible says in verse 35, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning together. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. The title of our sermon this morning can be found right there in verse 40. Here it is. Ready for the Son. Ready for the Son. Are you ready to give an account to the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, for how you have lived your life, or how you are living your life? We're going to explore this passage this morning. We're going to seek to understand it and make some great applications that will challenge us to be better. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Can we do that? Lord, thank you for gathering us together. Someone once wisely noted that this exact congregation, this exact grouping of individuals will likely never happen again. And so, Lord, we are here together at this time and at this place, and you have something very specific for us. And so, Lord, help us to tune out all of the distractions, Lord, that we came in with. Uh, Many are carrying heartaches and hurts and Many are dealing with the busyness of a schedule and, Lord, uh, a mind racing about what they're going to do after church this morning. And, uh, Lord, uh, some will be distracted by a cell phone or uh, by someone sitting around them or someone getting up and leaving the room. Uh, Lord, help us to push out distractions and, Lord, be dialed in to the truth today. Help us not to miss that one thing that you have for each person here today. Guide me as I preach, but, Lord, I pray each ear would be anointed And Lord would hear and Lord, each heart would receive the truth. Bless us now, Lord, this morning in Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Luke 12, uh, like the rest of the Bible, this is a fascinating passage. Jesus here, uh, I believe, is speaking to his Jewish disciples and the promise of the coming of Christ 
appears in this passage to be written to the Jewish people about the Lord's second coming. Now, uh, eschatology or the study of the end times fascinates people uh, all over the world. In fact, new books come out about end times and uh, modern day events, how they gel with end times. Uh, Every year new books come out and they sell a high volume of copies. And so uh, understanding the end times and the events yet to take place in the Bible is both fascinating and intriguing. So uh, what I want to do for us today is I want to lay out for you uh, the Bible timeline of end time events as I understand them. And then we'll go back to Luke 12 and we'll see how this passage fits on that timeline, okay? So first, let's talk about the church age. The church age, all right? The church age. Right now, we are living in the church age. When did the church age begin? It began in the book of Acts with the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He he left his believers behind and uh, told them to go forth and preach the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you would, take your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, please, if you would do that. Uh, Jesus values the church. He is the chief cornerstone of the building of the church. Uh, church was not man's idea. Church was God's idea. He is the author of it. Uh, he is the one who purchased it with his blood. Acts 10:28 tells us Jesus loves the church. And uh, what is the church? Yes, the church is universal in that those who have believed in Jesus will one day be taken up, caught up together to be with the Lord. But the church is more than just a universal body of people who believe. The church is to be a local gathering of believers. Now, hear, hear what I'm going to say this morning. Uh, church and home cannot be the same. All right. God gave us three institutions in the Bible. He gave us first the home and then second in this order. He gave us the government. And then the third institution he gave us is the church. Now, listen, um, the, the government cannot try to be the church and the church cannot try to beat the government. You understand there is a separation between the government and the church. Raise your hand if you understand that this morning. All right. Raise your hand if you're sentient and alive. Praise the Lord. All right. Um, uh, how many understand that the church should stay out of the government and the government should stay out of the church. We fought a war over that, did we not? Now watch this. If the church and government need to stay separate, the church at home are also equally separate. People say, well, I'm going to do church at home. Uh, Listen, you can't do church at home. The church is not to be done at home. Now, I believe you should read your Bible at home, and I believe you should pray at home, and I believe you should have family devotions at home, and I believe that home ought to be a spiritual place. But the church is not the home, and the home is not the church. The church is to be a local body of believers. And uh, half of the New Testament was written to local body of believers. The books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, written to the church at Corinth. To back up a little bit, the book of Romans was written to the local church at Rome. And on down the line we go with the epistles written to the churches. And the Lord Jesus loves the church. Look at Ephesians 5. Now, we know Ephesians 5 to be a passage about marriage. But I, I would I would push that this passage is just as much about Christ and the church as it is about the husband and the wife. Look at verse 29 with me. The Bible says, For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and 
cherisheth it. Read the rest of that verse with me. Ready? Even as the Lord, the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Read verse 32 with me. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning what? Christ and the church. This is a mystery, speaking of Christ and the church. Watch this now. Just as a husband is to love a wife, Christ loves the church. Hear this now. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the church just like a husband is to love his wife. So we are living in the church age, but like every age, there is a beginning and there is an end. The question is, when does the church age end? And that answer is at the rapture, the catching away of the saints. That is the next event on the biblical timeline. Now, this is fascinating. Listen to this. In Hebrew culture, back in Hebrew culture, back in Bible times, when a man was to marry a woman, they went through a stage called betrothal, very similar to our engagement, but a little bit different. When you were betrothed to a woman, usually the, usually the uh, husband and uh, rather the parents of both sets were involved in this process of picking out of the other one's spouse. Uh, when you were betrothed, you were legally married, but you were not physically allowed to come together. So sexually pure, but legally married. And the bride uh, uh, would live in the home of, of, um, of her parents and the groom would live in the home of his parents and uh, the groom would work to prepare to be financially ready to bring in that bride. So he would get his own place and he would fix it up and he would make sure he was financially ready. Well, who made the decision when it was time for the groom to go get the bride? The father of the groom made that choice. He would look at his son and say, okay, you are now ready emotionally, financially, spiritually, and physically to get married. You now may go get your bride. And so he would get his wedding party together. He would get instrumentalists together, maybe. And they would, uh, at an unannounced day and time, an unannounced day and time, they would travel to the home where the bride lived uh, with her parents. And she could hear the music coming from the distance. She could see her groom coming and there would be a shout or a calling out. And that bride knew this is the day I am to be married. She would come out and the ceremony would happen and all of the festivities that would take place. And then a year long honeymoon would ensue. And just like that happened in Bible times, uh, so is the case. God the Father uh, is with God the Son. Uh, and God the Son is our groom. And He is in heaven right now. John 14 says He's there preparing a place for us. He's getting heaven ready for His bride. And when the day comes, the Father will look at the Son and say, boy, it's time. Go get your bride. And He's going to leave heaven. He's going to come down to the clouds. There's going to be music that plays in the form of a trumpet. There's going to be a shout. And the bride of Christ the church will be caught up together and taken to heaven for that great wedding. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. The rapture is coming. It is imminent. We'll look at Matthew in just a little bit. But Matthew 24 tells us that no man knows the day 
day or the hour, only the Father in heaven. After the rapture takes place, the church will be taken to heaven. The church age will come to an end. We will move into a new age called the kingdom age. By the way, if you want to research on this own, next to rapture, you can write down 1 Corinthians 15. You can write down 1 Thessalonians 4. And you can write down Revelation 4 and uh, portions of Matthew 24. I'd be happy to give you the exact verses after the sermon. But uh, that will help you to research and understand the rapture. Let's talk about the next event there. And that will be here on earth. That will be the great tribulation. The great tribulation. Sometime after the rapture, we have the great tribulation. Now, we don't know if it concurs with the rapture or is a short time after the rapture. But there will be a great tribulation on earth that will take place as the kingdom age kicks off. Now, it's fascinating. The Hebrew day begins at sundown. And so it runs sundown to sundown. And just like the darkness kicks off a Hebrew day, a very dark era will kick off the day of the Lord, bringing in the light of the millennial kingdom. And so there will be a very dark time on earth during this seven year tribulation where uh, where the Antichrist will rule and reign on this earth. Uh, also, as a result of the rapture in the beginning of the tribulation, Revelation tells us that 144,000 Jews will realize their mistake about Jesus being the Messiah. They will accept Jesus to be their Christ or their Messiah, 12,000 of every tribe, and they will go and become worldwide preachers that take the gospel to every corner of the globe. Listen, uh, there are places like the Philippines today where people are being saved in large numbers. The world has never seen a gospel revival like the one that will take place at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, where uh, people all over this world in a large volume of numbers will come and believe and be saved. And there will be these tribulation, um, these tribulation saints, if you could put that up there for me, tribulation saints, and uh, that will happen right there at the kickoff of the rapture. And uh, listen, uh, they uh, they will suffer much. They will suffer much. The Antichrist will hate them. And in fact, we read in Revelation five and six that there will be a whole choir a very large choir that will sing at the throne of, the, of God, uh, martyrs of those of every nation and tribe, uh, martyred for uh, their faith and uh, murdered for their faith. And uh, they will go to heaven's throne and they will sing aloud that their blood be avenged. And the Antichrist will be busy killing these tribulation saints. Uh, at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, uh, there will be an act that will take place called the abomination of desolation. Now that is a big fancy term, but I can explain this very simple. There will be an abominable act performed by the Antichrist. What is that act? Daniel chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 24 tell us, Jesus uh, confirms what Daniel writes in Daniel 9, uh, there will be an abominable act. The Antichrist will sit on the throne of David in the new temple that will be built there. He will declare himself to be God. And the Jews, every last one of them, will see this guy is bad news. This guy is doing the work of Satan. And the Jews will desolate the temple. The Jews will seek to desolate and abandon Jerusalem. 
and I'll put the next slide up there. Over the last of the three and a half years, the Jews will be heavily persecuted. Again, Jesus wrote about this in Matthew 24 and 25, how that the last three and a half years, uh, the Jews will be in heavy, heavy persecution and uh, they will hide and hide in the wilderness and uh, there will be uh, uh, kings and kingdoms that help them very few most of the kings and kingdoms will be in league with the antichrist searching for them and hunting for them and trying to kill them and they will be in a time that last three and a half years of great persecution that brings us to the end of the tribulation And the end of the tribulation comes with the Messiah of the Jews coming in to rescue them. That is the second coming of Christ. And that will be when Jesus in Revelation 19 comes back on a throne. If you want to read a majestic passage, boy, let me tell you, Revelation 19 lays out how Jesus will come back. He will come back on a horse. Uh, uh, his, his vesture is described there, uh, what he wears, the way he looks. Um, and he will destroy the armies of Satan and the Antichrist there in the valley of Megiddo. His bride, the church, will come with him on white horses. And uh, we will just simply observe, but we'll be behind him on horses as he wipes out the enemies of the world. He'll take Satan and the Antichrist. He'll bind them up and he'll throw them into a prison in hell where they'll be for a thousand years and then Jesus will set up shop here on earth where he will rule and reign from Jerusalem yes this Jerusalem we have right here on planet earth right now he will rule and reign for a thousand years you can see that in Revelation chapter number 20 now leave the timeline up there for me and uh, let's go back to Luke chapter number 12 Luke chapter 12 turn back there with me you should have it marked And uh, let's look at, and if you want to take out your cell phone, by the way, and take a picture of that so that you have a picture of that to look at later, feel free to do that. Luke chapter 12, all right? Look at verse 36. I believe that Luke 12 is not written to the church. I believe Luke 12, 35 through 40, is written to the Jews during that last three and a half years of persecution before the second coming of of, uh, Christ. Let me show you why I believe that. Look at verse 36. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord. Look here. When he read this next phrase with me, ready? When he will return from the wedding. Now, notice the wedding has already happened. You see that? The wedding has already happened. He's returning from the wedding. Now, uh, remember Jesus comes at the rapture to get his bride for the wedding, but here he's returning from the wedding. All right? Look with me also, if you would, at verse 39. Look at 39. The Bible says, "And this know that if the good men of the house had known what notice this, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched." Look down at verse 40. "Be ye therefore ready also for the son of man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Now, when we when we study the Bible, we need to study what it says. We also need to study what it doesn't say. Are you with me this morning? The Bible says you're not going to know the hour, but it doesn't say that you're not going to know the day or the hour. Now, why would that be? Um, Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking of the rapture of the church. In verse 36, Jesus says this. He says, but of that day and 
hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, here's what we know. We don't know the day of the rapture. Now, there have been many people who've tried to predict the rapture. Like Harold Camping, right? Um, God rest his soul. Uh, but um, uh, he thought he could give the day the rapture was going to happen. He was wrong, wasn't he? Uh, he made several predictions. Man, people sold all their stuff and they, um, they, uh, they got themselves in order. And Harold Camping's not the only one. There have been a bunch of people who've made predictions throughout the uh, church age uh, and have been wrong every time. Why? You can't know the day or the hour of the return of Christ. Here's the term we believe. The retur- the, uh, rather, uh, about the rapture. Here's the term that we use. Okay? The, the rapture is imminent. That means it could happen at any moment. But we do know the day of the second coming of Christ. Daniel chapter 9 tells us it will be 1,260 days after the abomination of desolation. Once the Antichrist sits on that throne and declares himself to be God, you can put up a giant countdown clock. 1,260 days from that day, Jesus is going to come riding through the clouds on a horse, and he's going to come back, and he's going to rescue the Jews, and he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. 1,260 days. Now, we know the day. But we don't know the hour. The Bible says he could come in the second watch or the third watch. The second watch is between 9 p.m. and midnight. The third watch is between midnight and 3 a.m. Now, I don't know if Jesus will actually come back between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. Or if that's a metaphor for uh, the darkness of the night with the evil in the world and the pouring out of God's wrath on the earth. But all the same, we know the day. We do not know the hour. Luke 12 is not written to the church. And that would beg this question. Why are we preaching out of this passage if it's not written to us? And I would say this. I want first to be honest with the passage. And I want to be honest with you. I don't want to get up here and take Luke 12. And uh, you know what a lot of preachers do? They Americanize the Bible. They take a Bible that was written to another culture at another time. And they just, uh, they just make applications. But they make those applications as though they're interpretations. I want to rightly divide the word of truth. I want to give you the interpretation of the passage. Now, let's look back at Luke 12 and let's make some applications. I believe that there are things that are true for Luke chapter 12. uh, um, uh, uh, Jewish believers living through the uh, persecution of the Antichrist that are also true in this passage to us as we await the rapture. Our theme this year is the word ready. Today, we look at this idea of being ready for our bride, uh, rather our groom, being ready for our groom, being ready for the Son of Man. As I thought about this sermon this week, preparing this, I I, uh, wandered back in my mind to my childhood years. When I was 13, my mom gave birth to child number six and seven. She had twins and uh, I got to be a second dad of sorts in the home, a third parent, if you will, feeding bottles and changing diapers. And, and uh, my brothers hate when I talk about that now because they're grown up. Uh, but uh, we did that uh, for them and, and loved on them. And I remember when I turned 14 and my brothers turned one, my parents looked at me and said, you're the babysitter. All right. And so uh, here's how this would work. My mom and dad would say to me, uh, I hear the kids. When I get home, I want the house to be clean. 
I want it to be clean. And I look around and say, but it's not clean now. And they say, I don't care. I want it clean when we get back. I'm not picking on my mom. I remember my, my brother this year for Christmas, my, actually one of the twin brothers, he got a bunch of VHS um, camcorder home videotapes and he digitized them. And I was handed a thumb drive with videos on it from when I was four years old all the way up. You say, oh, pastor, we want to see... Never, okay? <laughs> that will never happen, all right? Uh, you'd have to uh, tie me up and uh, starve me to death before I'd let you watch those. But um, uh, in one of those videos I was watching, my mom had to have been like 34, 35, and, and she's got the seven kids, and, and my dad's got the camcorder out, and he's, you know, she, her hair's a mess. And, and he says to her, he says, Hey, Sherry, what do you do all day? And she turns with bags under her eyes. She looks at him, and she says, Laundry. You imagine having nine people to do laundry for? How many loads of laundry a day you do? So I'm not picking on my mom for the house not always being perfect, but she would say to me, we're going to go out and when we get back, we want the house to be clean. Now, here's my uh, babysitting style. I would let my brothers and sisters tear the house apart, as long as they didn't break anything. 30 minutes before mom and dad got home. Stop playing and start working. We've got to make sure this house is clean when they get home. And when they came in the door of the house, would be clean. Uh, you know what's nice is knowing when mom and dad would come home. Sometimes I'd say to my parents, when are you going to be home? And they would say, you'll find out when we get home. And I'd say, but I need to know so I can have the house clean. And they'd say, sorry, we don't know when we'll be home. We'll be home when we get home. And you know what? Sometimes they'd come home and the house would be clean. Other times they'd be, come home and the house would be a, a wreck. You know, it would be really nice if we knew... When the rapture was going to happen. Wouldn't it? Imagine if we had a date. The Lord had given us a date. That we could decode in scripture. And we knew Jesus is coming back on this date. Let's say the date was 2030. I am not picking a date for the rapture of Christ. Amen. But let's just say. Let's suppose for a moment. That we were able to know. And it was April 1st, 2030. Alright. And uh, you know what? Maybe you do. You'd say I'm going to live my life how I want. Uh, but by 2029, I'm going to start working to get myself in order for the return of Christ. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That's not how it works. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. Hey, here's the question I want to ask you before we get into the Luke, Luke 11 passage. If Jesus came back right now, are you ready? Is your life in order? Is your marriage following the model laid out in Scripture? Are you honoring your parents the way that the Bible commands you to do? Are you the worker on the work site that God wants you to be? Are you honest with God and man? Are you serving at the church the way that you would want to be if Jesus looked over your shoulder, I've worked a lot of jobs in my lifetime and now I'm an employer, but I haven't always been an employer. I've been an employee more of my life than I haven't been. And you know what I have seen at work sites? I know many of you work and, and you see this too. There are people that only work hard when the boss is looking. How I many know what I'm talking about? Or they work at this level when the boss isn't around and then when the boss comes in, boom, they move it up here. If Jesus followed you around, physically followed you around, 
what would that change about how you live? Are you ready for the Son of Man? Let's look at three thoughts this morning out of Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12. Let's look at three thoughts that apply both to the Jewish believers at the end of the uh, tribulation and also apply to us as we await the rapture. Number one, notice our work. Our work. Look back at Luke 12. Look at verse number 35 with me. Luke 12, verse 35. The Bible says, let your loins be girded about. Now, um, that is not a term that means much to you and I. But in Bible times, men would wear long, um, loose-fitting robes. And when it was time to go to work, they would pull their robes up and bind them so that they could get down and get to work. So when the Bible says, let your loins be girded about, what Jesus is saying is, you need to get busy. You need to get to work. Let your loins be girded about. Now, work for many is a dirty word. It's a dirty four-letter word, isn't it? But the truth is, God made you and I to work. He made us to work. Letter A. Let's look at this one. Created as stewards. We're created as stewards. Now, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on letter A, and then we're going to move quickly through the rest of the sermon. So, uh, if you would, uh, take your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 2. If you don't know where Genesis is, close your Bible. It's the very first book. Amen? Uh, Close your Bible, go to where it says Holy Bible and open it. It's right there, right after concordance, okay? Uh, You get right there, and or rather index. Right after index, you get right there, and uh, you're into the book of Genesis. Genesis, uh, the the, the book of beginnings. Look at chapter 2. Now, uh, the Lord Lord God uh, had made all of the earth... And uh, he had finished all of his creation on that sixth day. Uh, he had made the sun, the moon, the stars, and he had made the, the waters. He divided the waters uh, from the land. He had made the, the grass and the, and the trees and the shrubs. And he had put the birds in the sky. He had, put the, um, uh, he had put the fish in the sea. I was about to say fish in the sky and birds in the sea, but it's the other way around. Amen. And uh, he, had, uh, he had finished all, made all the animals. He had finished all that he had one less prized creation to make, and that was man. Man he made very last. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden, look here, to dress it and to keep it. Notice that first God made the garden and then put Adam and then Eve into the garden to steward it, to take care of it. Uh, He created them to be stewards. He created them to... To work. Now, uh, many people think I don't like to work. And I gotta say, the sin curse has made it difficult to want to work. How many of you, you watch the clock and you can see that it's about time to get in the car and go punch in on the clock and you think, oh, I really don't want to go to work yet again today. And, uh, you, you just, you push the flesh to get to work and, and, and to punch the clock. You know what? Uh, it may be that you don't like to work. And I'd say all of us are probably have a, a little bit of a bend toward laziness. But the truth is there is purpose and there is joy when we do go to work. And uh, we get fulfillment out of going to work. And we are to work hard. We're to give it our all. Watch this now. Work predated the sin curse. We work during the sin curse. One day the sin curse will be lifted and we'll live in uh, the millennial reign and then the eternal kingdom. You know what I believe? I believe we're going to keep on working. Uh, We are creatures of work. We will always work. Take your Bibles over to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 
Second Thessalonians chapter number three. Now, work is a responsibility. Work is a command. Work is something we are to do. Uh, but there is deep satisfaction that comes from work and God rewards those who work. Second Thessalonians chapter three. And if you're newer to your Bible and can't keep up with all the turning, I would encourage you just hold your Bible in Luke chapter 12 and let me listen to me as I read. Second Thessalonians three, verse 10 says, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, read the verse with me, church, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now I'm going to say something that is highly controversial in a country that's becoming more and more socialistic. You ready? Here it goes. This is a hot take in 2024 in the U.S. of A. Here it is. Ready? Eating is not a right. It is a privilege. You have no right to just be given food by our government. If you want to eat, you should go to work and earn a paycheck. So that you can buy your own food and feed your own mouth. Hey, moms and dads, you start teaching this to your children when they're little. It's called daily chores. You want to sit at the table and eat dinner? You didn't take out the trash. Go take out the trash and then we can look at you eating some dinner. Amen? And you want to eat dinner? That floor didn't get swept. That was on your list of chores. Get in there and sweep that floor and you can sit down and eat some dinner. Listen, eating is a privilege earned by going to work and working hard. Take your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, eating is a privilege that is earned from working hard. If a man does not work, neither should he eat. We earn the right to eat uh, by, um, uh, by working hard. Uh, rather, we earn the privilege to eat by working hard. Let me give you another privilege that comes from Working hard. Hebrews 4 verse 11. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Rest comes as a result of labor or work. Now watch this. We earn the privilege to eat when we work. We earn the privilege to rest when we work. Alright? So there have been seasons in my life where I've like gone on a vacation and, um, you know, sat in a lawn chair somewhere and taking it easy and slept in late. And, and uh, you know what happens when you do that? You lay in bed at night and you twiddle your thumbs and you have a hard time falling asleep. You know why? Because when you don't work, it's really hard to get rest. Now, there's the other extreme where you work overwork yourself and then you lay down and you can't go to sleep. You ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? But uh, laziness brings about restlessness. Laziness brings about restlessness. When we work, we get to rest. Now, if you're taking notes beyond just filling in the blanks, let me encourage you to write this next thing down, okay? Physical work brings about uh, physical rest. Physical work brings about physical rest. Spiritual work brings about spiritual rest. Write that down. Physical work brings about physical rest. Spiritual work brings about spiritual rest. And that word rest, I was given some, I was meditating on that word rest several months ago, and it dawned on me that the word rest is just short for restoration. Restoration. 
when we rest, it ought to restore us. Now, um, you can't be restored spiritually from playing video games, watching a football game, right? Watching a sitcom. You can't be restored spiritually from uh, scrolling through social media, all right? Maybe you come across a verse that causes you to put your phone down and and meditate, but it wasn't social media that gave you rest. It was the putting of your phone down and meditating that caused you to rest. If we're going to be restored spiritually, we have to walk with God. We have to walk with God. Now listen, church. Here's the main thing I'm trying to drive at here under letter A. Okay? We work and work and work and work and work physically, and then we sleep to rest up. But many of us, we don't labor spiritually So we don't know how to rest spiritually. Can I tell you that your Bible reading and prayer time is way more sweet when you've been busy serving Jesus. You see, I think Mary Mary and Martha were both a little out of balance. Mary did the, the worshiping. Martha did the serving. Let me tell you, when you serve, it makes that worshiping time that much sweeter. It gives you that rest. We're created to work. We're created... As stewards. Let's look at that word stewards for just a minute. Turn over to Psalm chapter 24. There's a law in science that says this. Matter cannot be created nor destroyed. Matter cannot be created nor destroyed. Alright? Uh, which is fascinating. If, if human beings and creation, rather, if human beings in the animal kingdom cannot create or destroy matter, then you have to ask the question, where did matter come from? Somebody created it, right? Uh, y- y- you know that where there is a-, a creation, there must be a creator. And so if I cannot create or destroy matter, uh, then all I can then do is steward that matter. The car I drive was made out of materials that were pulled from the earth. And uh, one day when that car is done being driven, it will be retired and it will be repurposed. But that matter of that vehicle will never be destroyed. I simply uh, steward that matter while it is in my possession. The money that is in my bank account is not mine. It belongs to God. It was given to me. I can spend it, but it doesn't just go away. It lands in another bank account. It lands in another pocket. It cannot be destroyed. It can only be used. It can be stewarded. And uh, uh, look at Psalm 24. Look at verse 1. The Bible says here, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Look at that verse with me again. The earth is mine. The earth is the Lord's. I watched It's a Wonderful Life this past Christmas season with my family. One of my favorite movies. My wife sleeps through it every time. I'm telling on her, okay? Uh, she sleeps through it. I love it. Every year, she, she humors me and sits down, and, and she sleeps through it every year, okay? And uh, I know it's a long movie, but I love it. In, in the middle of the movie, uh, what does, uh, what does he, he say there? He says, uh, he says uh, I'm going to throw a, a lasso around the moon, right? I'm going to pull it to myself, and, and I'm going to give you the moon. You know what? The earth isn't uh, his. The earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to the Lord. Look, it says the earth is the Lord's. Look at this next phrase. And the fullness thereof. All of it belongs to the Lord. The world. The world. And they that dwell therein. You know what this verse means? It means that everything physical belongs to God. And everyone belongs to God. 
and they that dwell therein. You know what that means? That means that this little girl down here that calls me dad isn't mine. She's the Lord's. This lady right here that calls me husband, uh, she doesn't belong to me. She belongs to the Lord. Amen? My parents, they're my parents. That's true in a sense. They belong to the Lord. We are stewards of His creation. Letter A, we see created to be stewards. Letter B, characteristics of stewardship. Characteristics of stewardship. Look at Luke 12. Look at verse 41 with me. Back in Luke 12, uh, Jesus gets through teaching this and Peter is the first one to speak up. What a surprise that Peter would do that. Uh, Peter was uh, always had a, a something to say. And you know, he, those of us that have taught a classroom, there's always that person who shoots their hand up, has a question, shoot their hand up. That would have been Peter. Look at Luke 12. Look at verse 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? So uh, uh, as stewards, how should we do this? I have to say that one of the most intimidating jobs on the planet is to be a money manager. Imagine that you are given the responsibility to look after uh, some multimillionaire's finances and he wants to know each year that you are increasing his wealth by how that money is invested. And the pressure, right? You're watching the stock market. You're, you're reading about the futures and all that goes into that. And, and you know you are stewarding someone else's wealth. And not only is their happiness built on that, your own personal wealth and success is built on that. Now listen, I have to say, this idea that I have been given all of these things by the Lord, a, a family to look after and a church to look after and the gospel to steward and all the material possessions I own... This is intimidating. This is intimidating. And the truth is, I'm going to stand before my God one day and I'm going to give an account to Him for how I did. And so I want to be a steward the way God would want me to be. Well, Luke 12, verse 41, or rather verse 42, lays out two attributes or characteristics of a good steward. Notice first that we are to be wise stewards. James 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Can I tell you this morning that I wake up every morning, and almost every morning, the very first prayer I pray is this. I say, Lord, thank you for all of the things you've given me in my life. And on the heels of telling him thank you, listen up, here's what I say. I say, I'm going to face challenges today that I'm not going to know how to handle I need your wisdom for both the mundane and the difficult challenges coming my way. I want to steward life your way. I need your wisdom. You know what? There's some of you here today, you have a very high IQ. Can I tell you that being smart oftentimes is a curse? Because we think we know. We think we know. And when we think we know, you know what that means? We don't need God. Sometimes I think being simple-minded is the best because we enter into life feeling challenged and, oh, we call out to God. Oh, I can't do this. I need your help. But not only wise stewards, notice next, faithful stewards. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards 
that a man be found faithful. You say this morning, I, I don't have much to offer the Lord. I'm not very smart. I'm not very good looking. Amen. I fit both of those. I'm not very smart. I'm not very good looking. I'm not very strong. I'm, I, I am uh, getting on up in years as uh, uh, many are. And uh, I feel uh, like uh, I'm limited in what I can offer. Can I say this morning that you don't need to be smart or good looking? Uh, you don't need to fit some uh, mold or model of success that the world offers. You know what you can do? You can be faithful. You can be faithful. You can be faithful to church. You can be faithful to your family. You can be faithful to your God. Uh, you, you can be faithful to keep your life in order. You can be faithful. You can be faithful to do His work. Number one, our work. Number two, notice our witness. Our witness. Go back to Luke chapter 12 and look at verse number 35. The Bible says, Let your loins be girded about. Read the rest of the verse with me. Ready? And your lights burning. Say that with me. And your lights burning. Now, a light has a great purpose. It punches through the darkness and provides help to those who are lost. When you shine your light bright for the Lord, others are greatly helped. Letter A, notice the oil in our lamps. The oil in our lamps. You're in Luke 12. Turn back just a few chapters to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Here we find Jesus quoting out of the book of Isaiah in his synagogue there in Nazareth where he grew up. He's reading this about himself and he is declaring himself to be the Messiah here. And he says this, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now, I'm gonna, I'm going to, I need you to give me your attention on purpose. I'm gonna, I'm going to explain something that's highly technical, uh, uh, theologically, alright? So, for just a few moments, I want you to pay attention on purpose, and then I'm gonna tell you a story, and then I'll keep your attention, alright? So give me your attention here. Watch this now. It was the Spirit of God that came down and indwelled God the Son and empowered Him to preach deliverance to the captive, to touch the eyes of the blind, right? All of the things listed in Luke 4 were made possible because, here it is, the Holy Spirit was the oil in the, the lamp of the body of Jesus that burned bright to make that happen. Imagine you have an oil lamp. And uh, that oil lamp is going to give you light. If you run out of oil, you have no light. Now, here comes the story. How many of you here use oil to heat your houses? Raise your hand. You would use oil to heat your houses. How many of you here have been negligent at some point like me and have run out of oil? All right. Okay. You know what happens when you run out of oil? You run out of heat. You know what else happens? You have to take cold showers or you don't take a shower and everybody knows it. You can't run out of oil. It was the oil of the Holy Spirit that allowed God the Son to do the great works He did. In fact, if you study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, He did all of the powerful things throughout the Bible. 
The Holy Spirit was involved in the creation of the earth. The Holy Spirit was the one that put Jesus in the womb of Mary. The Holy Spirit is the one that endorsed Jesus in His baptism. The Holy Spirit was the one uh, that raised Jesus up from the dead. The Holy Spirit is the one that washes away our sins. The Holy Spirit is the one that sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one that seals us under the day of the redemption. The Holy Spirit is the power at work. And you know what is so great about this? It is the Holy Spirit that was sent down by Jesus to to indwell our hearts. Not only was the Holy Spirit the oil inside of Jesus, that same oil is inside of you and I today. The oil in our lamps. He says here, let your lights shine brightly, let her be. We see the opportunity before us. The opportunity before us. Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse number 14, 15 and 16. Matthew 5, while you're finding that, last year we had a bad storm. Last summer we had a bad storm that knocked out our power. And our power went down for several hours right here on this street. And um, I remember our cell phones were just about dead when the power went down. And so uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have much cell phone juice, but so we used the flashlights on our phones until our phones died. And then we were in the dark. And i got to tell you, that's eerie. Walking around the house in the dark. Um, you know, and then when the power goes out, you lose the internet. Uh, how many of you ever heard of, uh, of uh, uh, FOLO? FOLO, you've heard of uh, uh, FOMO, f- fear of missing out. FOLO is fear of living offline. Uh, how many of you uh, uh, feel like you go into a mini panic when you lose the internet in your house, right? And uh, they, we had no internet, we had no power and uh, it was, uh, we were kind of walking around in the dark. My wife found a stick lighter, um, because none of us smoke, amen? She found a stick lighter, and uh, we strategically placed candles around the house, and we lit those candles so that um, we could sort of see what we were doing in the house. And uh, we were so happy when the power came back on. Now, I'm going to take that story, and I'm going to apply it to our world and to us as Christians in a moment. Look at Matthew 5. Look at verse 14. Jesus says this. He says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but rather but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Look at 16. Read it with me. Ready? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Oh, what a relief it was when the power came back on. We could see again. We we, we had full use of our home again. Here's what I believe. I believe that our world today is wandering around with just a little glow of light. A residual light that's left over from a Judeo-Christian heritage in our country. You know, we've become more and more humanistic... We've become more and more pagan over the last 50 to 60 years. And as a result, people are wandering around with just enough light to kind of get by, but they really can't see what they're doing. And then, boom! 
A born-again believer who walks with the Lord Jesus comes walking into their light and it's like the power gets turned back on and now they can see what they're doing. How many of you here today remember a day when you were lost in your sin and the world didn't make sense and you're kind of stumbling around mostly in the darkness and you put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you and all of a sudden the lights came on. How many of you remember that day? Oh, happy day, right? And uh, the truth is that you get to be the light in this world that comes walking into people's darkness and you get to show them how to see and show them how to walk and show them a new purpose to life. While we are while we are waiting on Jesus to come back, while we're making ourselves ready for Jesus to come back, we are to be working. But not only are we to be working, we're to let our, our light shine brightly. We are to be witnessing. Notice number three, we are to be watching. Our watching. Go back to Luke chapter 12 with me and look at verse number 37. Luke 12 and verse number 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. What a promise. Letter A, notice our readiness, our Readiness. While the Jews will be watching with great anticipation during their time of persecution, while they'll be watching for the Lord's second coming, us church age saints are uh, to be busy watching for our groom to come and get the church his bride. Look down at verse 38. And it shall be, and, and if it shall be in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants and this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, read that next phrase with me. He would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Read verse 40 with me. Ready? Be ye therefore ready also. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour that ye think not. The Son of Man is coming in an hour that ye think not. I mentioned in the introduction, there have been seasons in my life where if Jesus had come back, I was not at all ready. There have been seasons in my life that if Jesus would have come back, I would have been so embarrassed by the way I was living my life. It had been months since I had prayed. It had been months since I had opened my Bible and had devotion with the Lord. My whole life I've gone to church, but there have been seasons where I've gone to church just out of obligation or habit. I've just gone through the motions. Listen up now. If Jesus came back right now for you, are you ready? I want Jesus to come back and I want Him to find that my life is in order. I want Him to find me living a healthy routine. Daily in my Bible. Daily and regularly in prayer. The Gospel of Jesus both in my pocket and on my lips. I want my life to be in order. I want my family to be in order. I have this fear. <laughs> this fear that... Um, I'm going to get into a fight with my wife and I'm going to be yelling at her and red in the face and laying her out and telling her this, that and the other. And right in the middle of me, ha! Jesus comes back and I'm standing in the presence of Jesus. 
Hey, Lord. And, and what were you saying to my daughter? Um, I love you, sweetheart. <laughs> oh, wait, you're not my wife anymore. We're in heaven, right? No marriage in heaven. Wouldn't that be terrible if Jesus came back while you're in the middle of bickering and arguing with your family? Wouldn't that be terrible? Can I tell you it would be worse than that? Can I tell you it would be worse than that? Any of us can have a bad moment at home. But what would be worse than that is if Jesus came back and I wasn't following the structure for the home that he had given me in the Bible. The wife leading the husband instead of the husband leading the wife. The husband stepping on the wife instead of loving and honoring the wife. Allowing a culture in my home where my children are in rebellion and carnal and worldly. Watching things on TV I know nothing about. And, 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 and being inundated with, with wickedness and, and my home a wreck. Let me ask you this morning. Listen up to me. Is your family in order? If Jesus came back right now and you had to give an account for the way you had stewarded that family, are you ready? Are you ready? When Jesus comes back, I want my life to be in order. I want my family to be in order. I want my spiritual gifts to be in use. We're going to talk about this in great length throughout the year. But the moment that you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, at that moment, He gave you a spiritual gift that He wants you to develop and use as part of the local church of the body of Christ. Now listen up. When He comes back, I want the Lord to find me faithful using my spiritual gifts at the church. Can I just say this morning that coming to church and sitting on a pew... And staring up at the preacher is not you using your spiritual gift. Now, I'm thankful for every one of you that's here. Don't get me wrong. If all you do is come and let me preach to you, I'm thankful that you come and give me someone to preach to. But for your sake, when you stand before God one day, He's going to want to know, how did you use the gifts that I gave you in order to advance the cause of the church? The church is to be attacking the gates of hell. It shouldn't be the gates of hell attacking the church. It should be the church attacking the gates of hell. The, the body of Christ working together in tandem. Each one doing their part. Each one fervently involved pushing away distractions and, and, and pushing away sin and pushing away laziness and pushing away busyness and getting our priorities in order and actively getting out there and advancing the cause of Christ through our local church. And some of you here today, the decision you need to make is to schedule an appointment with Pastor Lejeune so that you can go through the process of becoming a member. You've been sitting on the seat for months and you're not even a member of the church here yet. You need to get in the membership so you can be part of the body of Christ and so that you can be fully involved in all that we do here. Are you using your spiritual gifts? Are you ready? When Jesus returns, are you ready? So we see our readiness. Lastly, letter B, our reward. Our reward. Revelation chapter 22. Uh, we get the closing of the book of Revelation. And boy, it is a, it is a wild book. Look at Revelation 22. If you don't want to turn over, I'll read it for you. Verses 12 and 13. Jesus says this. He says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. To give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Hey, the one who calls himself the beginning and the end 
the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, looks at you and he says, I'm coming, I'm coming, and my rewards are in my hands, and I will give them to you proportionately to how hard you worked. How hard you worked. One day, crowns will be distributed. One day, the servant of all will yet serve again those who've worked for him. You know, reward a day in heaven is going to be pretty awesome. For some. It's going to be disastrous for others. I know that we've got a lot of ambient noise in the room, but I want everyone to give me your attention for just 30 seconds here. I want to talk to your heart. Listen up here. Don't get to heaven and sit through the disappointment of knowing that you were too busy building your own kingdom. You were too busy fitting the culture of this world to be ready for the one who died to save your soul. On wedding days, Brides spend hours having their makeup professionally done. Their hair fixed to be just every strand perfect. They spend lots of money picking the perfect dress. They get their fingernails and toenails manicured and pedicured. and They show up on that wedding day with the idea of being at the peak, the peak of being ready, the peak of their beauty. When Jesus comes back, are you going to be ready? Now listen, He may come back today. And for some of you to be ready, you first just need to get saved. You need to give your heart to Christ. But for others of you here that are saved, boy, there are some ugly stains of sin on your face and in life that need to go. There are some behaviors that you need to adjust. So that you can look him in the eye and be ready. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Boy, I don't want to be left out on reward day. There are no participation trophies in heaven. You'll either be given a reward or you won't. What you do here is going to determine on the quality of enjoyment up there. Are you ready? Are you ready for the sun? How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone to save me. I know that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven, not because I'm a good person, because the truth is I'm just a sinner, but I'm going to go to heaven because I called on the name of Jesus to be my Savior. I have believed in Him. If that's your testimony, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? I'm going to heaven. My faith is in Jesus alone. Many hands. You can put them down. You only need to do that one time, but if you've never given your heart to Christ, you've never called on Him to save your soul from sin, Jesus lived, He died, He rose again. He is salvation. And when you believe in Him, He'll wash away the record of your sin. He'll seal your name. He'll give you the gift of eternal life. Is there someone here today that would either say, Pastor, I'm certain I'm not going to heaven, or... I'm not certain that I am going to heaven, but either way, I, 
I need you to pray for me. Someone here today that fits that, I don't know where I'd spend eternity, where I'm certain I wouldn't go to heaven. I don't want to embarrass you. I do want to pray for you. I won't call any attention to you directly. But with every other head bowed and eye closed, if you do not know where you'd spend eternity, would you just slip up your hand? Is there one here? I don't know. I'm not certain. I don't see any hands. I hope that means everyone here is a believer. If you're not, after the service, I'll be standing in the back. I would love to have the Bible taken and have someone show you how you can know for certain that when Jesus comes back, you'll be part of the bride of Christ. You'll know you're going to heaven. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, the Spirit of God put His finger on something in my heart. The truth is, I'm not ready. There's some things I need to change so that when Jesus comes back, He'll call me a wise and faithful steward, a faithful and wise steward. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I've got some things I need to work on. God has showed me. If you just raise your hand a moment ago, in a few minutes we're going to open up uh, the altar. And I want to encourage you to leave your seat and come and bend a knee and call on the name of the Lord and, and, and tell Him directly what it is that needs to change. Ask Him to give you an action plan to go forth and do that. Lord Jesus, thank You for the Bible. Thank You for its truths. Help us to be working. Help us to be witnessing. Help us to be watching. And when you come back, Lord, may it not be a time of terror in our hearts, but may it be a time of true joy. Help us as we make decisions this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand to our feet, church.